Knocked in by Riley. Now to Marner. Into the slot. Nylander. Now to Riley. His shot. Scores! Tavares in front of the goal. Holy mackinac! The Leafs have tied the game on their 50th shot on goal. Matthews gave the puck back to Riley. Riley to Marner. Closing in. Down low. Shot. Scores! Austin Matthews with the game winner. In overtime. His first game winning goal season and the Leafs come back to win this one two to one holy mackinac what a performance I thought we I thought we played a good game you know I thought we deserved more offense than we got uh, but I like that we just you know stayed with it we didn't make uh, make too many mistakes and, and didn't push it or uh, open up to the point that we allowed we could give them a chance to really build their lead and uh and get rewarded in the end with the two points that you came for. Hey, happy Thursday, Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. I'm speaking into the correct end of the microphone today. Congrats. Uh, good uh, job by you. Thanks. Also, good job by me by predicting that game to AT yesterday on the Wake and Rake. What did, did I say? What did I say, Brent? No, I tell me what I said. I mean, I got it. I remember it. Oh, okay. you don't. No, okay, you you're, don't. Like, you're like, oh, the Leafs, a classic trap game. No, 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 no. I, I feel like that's what you said. No, no, no. Honest, no. You, said, you said trap game. You're like, oh, I'll take uh, the Leafs, but, uh, you know, I know there's a trap game. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. Overtime. This, you this did is, say overtime. Now this is the, the Ducks plus a goal and a half because this feels like classic. Leafs pull it out, but they need more than the requisite 60. By the way, nice little sports moment we got happening mm-hmm. in the city of Toronto right now. I know it's only two-game winning streaks for both the Leafs and the Raptors. Yeah. But, man, as far as fan intrigue mm-hmm. surrounding both teams, it, it doesn't always happen like this. And it doesn't always last, right? Like, I, it, it, it may end. Next week could be. Generally speaking, everything does. Yeah. It it might not last the rest of the regular season, but right now, both teams very watchable, very entertaining, and right now, very good. Yeah. I mean, we'll get to wraps in a sec, but just quick thought on them. Refreshing to have an exciting, entertaining, hate to say it, but capable basketball team back in the city. It has been extremely refreshing. And from the Leafs, I mean, We've been up and down and it's been, I mean, it's been the longest five years or whatever you want to look at. I guess it's seven now with this Mm. Matthews era. And yeah, that's how long it is that I thought it was five and it's been seven, but we've seen that movie a million times, but it just plays out in a different way last night. I mean, big boys coming through. You would have loved it if it was Nick Robertson and I don't know, Jake McCabe who got the two goals last night, but it's not, it's Tavares and it's Matthews and Matthews puts on the Cape and he's Superman all over again. And you have a goalie, you know, to a certain extent, relatively out of nowhere, standing on their head, but the Leafs find a way. It was just uh, really, really encouraging. Really fun night, honestly. Frustrating until they mm-hmm. finally were able to break through the dam there, but fun, fun night to watch them push. It was, it was a whole lot of fun. Again, Maple Leafs beat the Ducks 2-1 in overtime in case you're just, you know, waking up. And mm-hmm. It's only at 9 o'clock start. Yeah, so <laughs> come on. Come on. Come on, stay up. What are we doing here? It's at 10.30, which is more like a 10.40 start in L.A. A lot more civilized start yesterday. Making me think I'm having a seizure at 11 o'clock. Martin Jones was fine. He he did Mm. fine. We'll get to the goaltending. We'll get to the Leafs goaltending part of it later on in the program. But, yeah, uh, Lucas Dostal was very, very good. Now, he, he... not a lot of 10-bellers. I will say there was high-danger chances early on in that game. I, mm-hmm. I, at last I checked, actually. I should look at the updated stats on this thing. But Matthew Nyes had, like, six high-danger shot attempts. Incredible. In that hockey game. 
Uh, the counting stats for him and Tyler Bertuzzi have, have not been maybe what you dreamed on this season, but I think both guys are having pretty good years and, and maybe nice more than Bertuzzi, but I think both mm-hmm. guys, like, I, I can't complain about either one. Um, the Maple Leafs on the back end of back-to-backs against a bad Ducks team to both of our points, because I think we were kind of making the same point during yeah. the wake and rake yesterday. I just decided that, to have hope for once, which, ew. Yeah. How did you do it, that? It does. This is, if, if you play this thing out over the course of the last seven years of Toronto Maple Leafs hockey during regular seasons mm-hmm. on the back end of back-to-backs against teams they should beat, they don't usually beat them. And it looked like we were headed towards that. They fired more than 100 <laughs> shots towards <laughs> the Ducks' goal. Say it again. More than a hundred <laughs> shots, Brent. A hundred and four <laughs> shot attempts. Here's shot attempts in all situations. So this does include some power plays. Although the Ducks had a three-minute power play of their own, which we'll we'll get to. Mm-hmm. Hundred and four to forty-four were shot attempts. Okay, <laughs> it's shot shots on goal. Fifty-seven to twenty-eight. High danger. They were twenty-two to nine. So, uh, yeah, as, as much as you want to say, hey, maybe not a bunch of 10-bellers going yeah, post no. to post. Now, Lucas Dostal was amazing, and, boy, he I, he was in a couple of guys' heads, and it looked like he was in Austin Matthews' head, uh, head until he scored in overtime. He certainly seemed also to be in William Nylander's head, mm-hmm. who kept trying Big to time. do the short, yep. the short side top corner goal over over his shoulder. He wasn't biting on that. No, but. he got, Nylander got the breakaway or the mini break early on and he went yeah. to go low blocker and that didn't work and he's like, okay, exclusively highest of high gloves. Right. And it just didn't work the out. The scouting report is out, is out on William Nylander that he's attempting to do that uh, in racing games. But anyways, that was a game that we've seen the Maple Leafs not not even just, you know, come up short against mm-hmm. a good goaltending performance, lay an egg from an effort standpoint. Yep. And because they decided to roll out uh, almost 34-year-old Martin Jones in the back end of back-to-backs, mm-hmm. they indicated to us that this was pretty much not a must-win, but they had a lot riding emotionally on winning that hockey game. They started the guy who's their number one goaltender, who there's no backup plan for mm-hmm. at the moment in that game because they wanted to keep the good vibes rolling, and it's now three consecutive in which they haven't allowed a five-on-five goal they came up with a great effort, and they got the result they wanted. Yeah, they did. I mean, just just back to the point you made a second ago about the shot attempts there. Matthew Nyes had eight of them, and he was fifth on the team. Austin Matthews, 20. Nylander, 15. Tavares, 13. Same with Marner. And I don't want to short shift him. Nobody's going to today. They literally gave him the belt last night. But I have we figured it out? Is it Simon? Is it Simone? Simone. I, Simone, okay. Simone Benoit. Seven shot attempts last night on on net. Seeing this team go through this, I mean, the game that was flashing in my my mind last night watching this was the Coyotes game from, I think it was last year, but maybe it was two years ago when Vimelka just stood on his head and made 50-some-odd saves, and I think it was a 2-1 win for, for the Yotes in that game. It's just, again, we've seen it so many times, and for the Leafs to not go away. We've seen them get frustrated too. And to your point about Jones, you know, I, I'm not saying Hildeby couldn't have, couldn't have given up the the one goal that he get that, that Jones gave up last night, but the later that game gets where it's tight and you just see that Dostal's not going to blink or at least not blink until very, very late. That would have been just such a, 
I don't want to overstate it in an impossible ask or anything like that, but that's that would have been an uncomfortable first NHL start where you have so little margin for error because of the way the guy's performing on the other end. Mm. And it's revisionist history for sure, but that's I why know. I wanted Jones in the net. That is I why. Guess. You look at that I mean, game, the way... Scoreboard, so yeah, you're right. But... No, no, but look, okay, so let's play it out. Hildeby gives up that goal that Jones gives up, which I don't think anyone's sitting here faulting him for. It goes well, of in. Of course not. No, no of course. No, no shot. Right. Hildeby gives that goal up, and all of a sudden, there is no margin for error because of what's happening on the other end. I, I could just see that not going as, as well as it did with Jones. I, and I, I think know, part of that is you're the a comfortability. Person, but you're a negative person. You've never I mean, seen yes. Dennis Hildeby for one second. So, like, oh, I don't know. It's not true. They give me so many camera shots of him on the bench <laughs> right. and his hair. He's got great hair. I don't know. Why, why do we think that know. he would you, crumble? I want to be clear. You have good hair. He just has long hair. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. No, I, I, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe you'd crumble at the thought that, hey, one more mistake and I, I've ruined this incredible effort and this incredible (laughs) attempted comeback. But Mm -hmm. yeah, okay. Martin Jones had to make occasional uh, saves on shot attempts that, you know, I I guess like the worst, Ely Samsonov, you're right. Maybe gives up five goals in that game. But it's not like he was peppered by shots. He, you know, gave up. There was 28 shots on goal yep. towards Martin Jones. He gives up the one goal shorthanded. I, I, I can think of a couple of times where he actually looked a little bit shaky. One puck, like he drops right in front of him. Yep. I, I didn't think he was otherworldly. I, I think the, the Leafs got what they expect and hope to get out of Martin Jones and whoever's tending goal for this team. Like Cromulent. They, they yep. got Cromulents yesterday. I, I would hope that they could get the same out of Dennis Hildeby. If he's not capable of doing what Martin Jones did yesterday, then he's got no future in the National Hockey League. But they don't want him here yet. If they wanted him here yet, he would have been here. Martin Jones wouldn't have been the absolute. Well, that's the thing. So that's why, and again, like, to your... It, we'll we'll never know. This is the Kyle Dubas with the flat cap conversation of, ah, it's past the moment in time. We will never know, but... I'm just saying I can see a world where, and you're right, it wasn't a bunch of 10 bellers, but early on in that third period, they give up a great chance. I forget who it was to. Yeah, that was the best dead save in the sl- and that he had in the game. He gave up, there was a shot off a post yeah, and in could, that game. Could Hildeby have made that save? Entirely possibly. Would he have? Maybe you're even so likely. negative. No, yeah. I'm not. Even, it's not that I'm negative. It is that that was such a tightrope walk against a team that it should not have been yeah. for a guy in no, his you get first to be right. NHL start. Thank you. No, you get to be right because they won the game. Yeah, and he gave up one goal and a, 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 a chance that he had no chance of stopping. But I'm not, even, I'm not even disagreeing with you to the point where Hildeby couldn't have got in there. I just think that it's much more likely that Hildeby gives up the second goal, and maybe that does to a certain extent. I don't want to overstate it. Like, break the leaf spirit is well, too strong. But if the second one goes in and Dostal is just standing on his head and everything is bouncing off him and it's finding a way and there are moments where the puck is sitting in the crease and no one's around it and you can't yeah. get to it, just felt like one of those nights. And for a kid in his first NHL start, I just feel like that would have been a pretty uncomfortable moment. And hey, to your point, Maybe he comes in, he looks super comfortable, and all of a sudden it is Carey Price, and he's unflappable, and he's cool as a cucumber, mm. and it's Joe, it's Joe Wall, and the other cool guy is as a tandem, maybe. But I think it, that is the reason why you go to Jones in that spot. Yeah, and again, you because it happens. Yeah, I, it happens. You get to be right. I get to be right. No, I, well, but what's this scoreboard? This is, that, but this is the point, right? Maybe Leafs make that move. They make that decision. They go to Martin Jones. They're number one with a bullet with no backup plan. 
on the back end of back-to-backs, and if he gets hurt, they're totally screwed. They go to that. They they go to that game plan because they're desperate to go on a winning streak here because they're desperate to make up the points that they've lost because of the subpar goaltending they've received over the last week and a half, two weeks. Yep. So to that point, you better come away with two points. You better get that power play goal from John Tavares. You better get the second point in overtime. By the way, first overtime shootout loss for the Ducks this season. They were 4-0 going into that yesterday. One shootout win, three overtime victories. How many guys on that Ducks team, if you just told them, hey, you get your same money, you just get to play three-on-three all the time, would sign up for that (laughs) in a heartbeat? It's exhausting. They have to play 60 minutes, though. I mean, they would say, okay, we'll just we'll just take our foot off the gas in the last 60 there. It's yeah. like that Ducks team knows what they are right now. Yeah, and they're a little bit shorthanded. Yeah, yeah, they're dying of the flu. and Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyways, um, also, how weird is it that Austin Matthews, that's his first game-winning goal of the season. He's got 30 this season. Didn't he have hat trick? It so it doesn't matter. That was his first game-winning goal. That's so weird. the way they do this yeah, in the yeah, NHL, it doesn't matter like the, the where the scoreline right. is when you scored it is – was that the goal that was the difference between a win and mm-hmm. a loss? That's his first game-winning goal of the season, right? Yeah, not an overtime. Like I'm not right. talking no, about no. an overtime right. goal. Right. It's also his first overtime goal because obviously right. that's a game-winning goal. That's his first game-winning. He has 30 goals. Surprising this season now on pace for mm, under 69 now, 68 point oh, something. Bum. Uh, but yeah, that was his first game-winning goal of the season. He he. Did, uh, as Sheldon Keefe pointed out, look like he was not to be denied. And over the last month or so, he was taking it to another level. It's not just the the statistical output, right? It is the way we get to that position. He he was all over the ice yesterday. Yeah, he was he was incredible. I mean, you see, we've seen stretches like this from him before, but that performance last night followed followed up or sorry following up the performance you saw to start that Kings game where he just looked shot out of a cannon he did it all over again the interesting thing and I don't know this is this is anecdotal this is eye test it kind of feels like he has his spot now forever we've done the thing with the back of the net well yes that that's where the puck typically ends up but forever we've done the thing of and this isn't always on the power play but it's how come Steven Stamkos can just set up shop there and just rifle one-timers for a decade and it never needs to be worked around and he could just stand there? and do- How come Alex Ovechkin could just stand in that spot and the guy who we all look at and say he has the best shot in the game, mm. he's got to score, which is a good thing, I want to be clear, that he scores his goals from all over. From But that, it's not the true kind of Stammer Ovechkin one-timer slot spot. It's the more like, lower the in the circle. Play? Just in general, mostly on, on the, the power, power play. play. It felt like they went to that a little too much. They that go- it was getting a little stale. Oh, it looked like the 60-goal season where they were going, just feed him, feed him, yeah. feed him, get him over the hump there. But it is encouraging to see him have, you know, we think of this more as like an NBA thing, but it's that's his go-to move. He's got his spot. He knows where to go to. And more importantly, the team is finding ways to get him the puck there when everyone else in the world knows that's where he wants to go. It's not, again, it's not the top of the circles. It's much kind of lower, uh, below the dot, inside the circle, sometimes even below the circle there. And his ability to get shots off from that angle, pick his spots. He's obviously a super capable passer as well. That is the thing that's kind of jumped out to me from Matthews this season. Again, going back to the 60-goal season, yeah, it was a lot of incredible curl and drag shots, but it was a lot of tips. It was a lot of bounce. Or I don't, I don't mean bounces to take anything away from it, but it was great. 
greasy goals to go along with all the sexy ones. And this year, it just feels like he's doing it in a slightly kind of kind of different way. So, I mean, we, we can sit here and gush about him every day for 35 minutes, but I thought I'd just give a little slight, slight tweak on that today. Yeah, that was a tweak. Uh, it was also a good day if you're a believer of the regression to the mean when it comes to shooting percentage because mm. he had 13 shots, right? Only one That's goal. That's great. Yeah. That, the, the, yeah, the shooting percentage still over 18%, but no, that actually helps. When yeah. you only score one goal on, on 13 shots, you play 25 Plus minutes. All right. Yeah, you ready to talk about the Bobby McMahon five minute major and game misconduct for uh hitting uh Pavel Mintyukov? Sure. Uh who's about five feet away from mm-hmm. the boards and you know, shooting the puck in and the, nobody had a problem with the shoulder on shoulder. Like the shoulder's in the right place. Yep. And boarding like the way the boarding rule is written into the rule book, mm-hmm. the, it, there's lots of room for interpretation. So yeah. you can you can actually make the case that that was boarding because I think all it needs to be is like a, a dangerous way you yep. go into the boards, which no doubt was it was a dangerous way for a human being to go into the boards and maybe let's kill off the penalty and it doesn't factor into the game. We're talking about a fourth liner here, but like yep. my goodness, the the fact that that's that survived review was mind bending. In what world do you look at that? And I I. I know why we have this. I'm forgetting the exact particulars of it, but it was was it Golden Knights and and Sharks. Sharks. That's what it was, yeah, right? It's overtime. Yeah, and they and playoff game. And so when you have or something, no, it was the end of regulation yes. where they scored a bunch and then, to send yes. it to overtime. They had like a ten minute power play. And much like the Matt Duchesne offside from a thousand years ago, the most egregious examples create spaces in the rule book to have this review. And I understand why. But that, I you know, maybe it's just because I've been watching World Juniors, even though the tournament ended when Canada lost two days ago, but uh-huh. that I have it in my brain of, I just hate the idea of defaulting to a five-minute major and then taking it from That's there. They, yeah, you did. I love that. Make the, a the, call. The, the officials are, are terrified, just like in the NFL, how they let it play out, which, I mean, yeah, Okay, but I, then I, if I, you're going to review it, maybe get it right. Is that uh-huh. so much to ask? In what, in what world? Is that a five-minute major given what we see across the league on any given night? I mean, like, Jason Zucker oh just boy. tried to kill a guy. He got suspended for yeah, three, okay, three What What happened in the game? <laughs> Certainly not tossed out of it. Nick Cousins. <laughs> horrible. Ne- yeah, Nick Cousins completely skirting anything <laughs> four seconds before that because it was not as egregious. So the, you, if we're going to toss Bobby McMahon out of the game for that, we might as well just cancel hockey. And I understand there are people who look at that and say that's a guy in a vulnerable spot. McMahon doesn't have to hit him that way. And hit him uh, that way. Don't look at me like that. I'm not saying No, but it. I don't even understand that argument. It's because like he I hit think, him shoulder I, on shoulder I because some he's, people, he's so far away from the boards. That's it. I think some people would say that he can <sighs> he can affect the play in the manner he wants using his stick as opposed he's to his a body. Fourth line. He's trying to stay in the National Hockey League. Yeah, here. of course. That's what a normal <laughs> human reaction would be to that, but we're going to see that come out today. The idea of oh, he was in a vulnerable spot; he didn't have to hit him there. Also, if we're going to be to the letter of the law, uh, it's still icing. He wasn't over the red line. I know no one cares about that anymore. Yeah. But if we're if we're going to do that, if we're going to go to the absolute, not reviewable, no, apparently not. Mind boggling there. And then the easiest thing in the world is to give Russian Bear Labushkin, the instigator there, knowing they yeah. still get a three-minute power play right. out of it. Joke, joke, joke. And I don't expect anything different. We've seen it from Sheldon Keefe a million times. Get mad about it. Get 
Get mad. Take the fine. I know. Not my money. I know. But they, they just the gave you a bunch. They, they, yeah, they didn't no. score on the power play. I don't care. I've seen coaches come into this market for, I mean, look at just last year. What we got a Sutter and Maurice. Uh, Maurice doing his like five to zero or whatever it is. And, five two, I think. Okay. And well, we've been on the power play for, or we've been on shorthand for 8,000 years in tonight's game. Sutter openly saying he's been getting screwed by the league coming into Toronto and nothing comes out of it. And then you have a young player who you want to play physically getting reprimanded in that way. Joke. Like, I, I'm, they won the game, to your point. Maybe it's best just to move on. There, oh my God, there better not be. There can't be supplemental discipline coming out of this. No, no. There's, there's not. But that's what was surprising that it, it did go to review. Like, there was a, I guess the point is that you make the call on the ice to get to the point where it's reviewed and you look at, the, the replay, and there is, again, according to the letter of the law, the way the board sure, is Sure, give them a written, two. Yeah, but you, yeah. Yes, that's the thing. You you could have reduced it to two. You could have, and, and I'm going to sit there still. I mean, I wouldn't be doing this on the show because if it's just a two-minute penalty, it's much more, you know, plausible to me. But I'd still be sitting there going, oh, is it not hockey anymore? Mm. Can you not hit? But I would at least understand that. Because, yeah, boarding is super gray area. Charging is, hooking is. They all are. It's the thing about NHL officiating. It is all gray area. And what we've seen this year, and, you know, again, like I know supplemental discipline and getting tossed out of a game in theory are different things. But there just seems to be no rhyme or reason for any of this stuff. I mean, God, Botterill and Myers got into it last night about, about everything that happened with Perfetti and Hartman there. And. You know, a guy's getting smoked in the chops while telling a guy, I'm going to smoke you in the chops, and it's a fine. There just seems it is the full-on Wild West right now. And that Bobby McMahon getting tossed out of that game, just another kind of another ember on the fire of what is going on with player discipline. Yeah, or nobody, knows. Nobody, knows. nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. There's no what, consistency. What was, that? was that idiot NFL ref who just wanted no part of the uh, eligible receivers in the Lions game? Brad Allen? Can mm-hmm. we get him on skates? What's he doing? Like, cannot be worse. It is in infuriating uh it was uh one last shout out to lucas dostal who has mm. given up eight goals in a game this this season <laughs> look look like prime patrick Waugh, dominic hasek and you know what, more? Yeah, yeah yeah jsg i guess yeah wearing the Jiggy. correct uh jersey for that but yeah not flopping around all over the place nope. but making all the saves that he had to almost all the, the saves that he had to in sports are great because yeah a guy who's relatively unheralded mm. like him can have a day like he had. And it looked like it was going to be one of those situations where, okay, this guy goes on to be a journeyman throughout yep. the course of his career, but every Lee fan remembers that game and that performance mm-hmm. instead eh, kind of lost to the annals of time be uh, because he ends up taking the loss. Anything else from this game? Uh, just Simone Benoit. I mentioned all the shot attempts he had there. This is a guy who's kind of having a little, little moment here. We love a whipping boy. In the city of Toronto, in Leafs Nation, but we might love this more. The guy who, if there were any expectations on him, could totally have whipping boy status at any given time. Like, you think Justin Hall and this guy are that different? Like, obviously, they're different players, but, you know, the expectations that are placed on a top four guy versus a guy who comes here as an afterthought this is the story that we love in this city. Like, of course, we love Matthews and Marner and Nylander and Tavares. And, you know, you're getting Morgan Riley and you're getting great saves out of Jones. It's all great. But this is what this market 
always loves the underdog story out of nowhere and the guy you know talking crap about his old team going right at them he fights in the LA game you just love everything you've seen out of him lately so hey really nice find we spent hours and days and months and years talking about the find that was Michael Bunting and I'm not putting this on that level by any means but these are the types of things capped out teams need to do they need to find contributors who make no money. And I don't want to overstate the point of what he is, but look at the blue line injuries this team has had. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. he's like, he's in the playoff blue line. It's not a capital L lock, but unless two defensemen or three mm-hmm. defensemen are coming in, it, it feels like he's playing. What are the ducks thinking? Exactly. Just letting him walk a guy that played almost 20 minutes a game for them last season. I wonder, yeah. I honestly wonder if he just didn't jive with the, with the kind of young core there. He seems like a pretty, and it's funny how how quickly we turn the tune on the Leafs because we've certainly said this about this Leafs score, but it's like, you know, he seems like a pretty wired, competitive guy. And, you know, it's not, it's not say McTavish or somebody like that, but I don't know. You know, I always think Azegris just wanted to play roller hockey out there. I just wonder if he didn't kind of vibe with or, or gel with their kind of young core. Yeah. Is that very unfair or that no, does no, feel that way? That's, uh, sure. Oh, there was one other thing I, I had to mention last night. Uh, Mason McTavish, who I, I love. Every time I watch Connor Medard playing for Hockey Canada mm. in all these under U18s or U20s, McTavish was a guy who always popped. Not quite as much, but he jumped all the time in games. Loved the player. There's a moment late in the game where he takes a bit of a poke at Jones. Lilligren gets in his face and Lilligren like grabs him by the head. His helmet pops off. And McTavish immediately disengages from Lilligren. Like, they're in a full-blown scrum. And he immediately, the second his helmet pops off, he disengages and starts yelling at the ref of, he took my helmet off, he took my helmet off. And the ref just immediately, don't read lips, kids, but just a lot of language being used at him of no more talking for you. You were in a scrum in an NHL game. What are you doing complaining to me? So a lot of ref complaining, Mm. but I thought that was tremendous from whoever that stripes was last night. Yeah, Lilligren had a play also where he initiated physical contact yeah. before going after the puck. Was, that was Leafs nice team, man. Mm. Feisty. Also, last thing for mm. me, Greg Cronin is exactly what I want out of an NHL head coach Angry. as far as an appearance yes. goes. I Bald, didn't helped. do up the yeah. top button on the dress shirt with the tie. Like, ever I like have, a little bit of disheveledness for my NHL head coach coaches. Go full Berkey. With the the tie that's not even yeah not out. tied no no that's that's a Brian Burke exclusive like yeah does he get to sue you if you do so. that I think so that's his look that's his patented look it is anyways uh, Leafs win the first two games of this three game California road trip they'll wrap it up on Hockey Night in Canada against the Sharks team that they should beat and should take all six points which man again <laughs> no but- definitely honestly given the nature of this Leafs team definitely gonna happen definitely uh, well. I, I get yesterday felt like a game that they lose yeah, uh, quite often over the last seven years. Anyways, we'll revisit the Leafs uh, after seven o'clock and we'll also talk to uh, our pal Nick Kiprios after eight o'clock. But when we come back, Raptors also on a two game winning streak. Oh, they're so close to the pizza party. It's right there. They can taste it. <laughs> also, Ross Atkins speaking yesterday. Uh, we'll react to both next as the fan morning show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. So, Darko Ryakovich is going to pay for a team dinner 
and they win three in a row. Oh, I was going to say, don't jinx it. I mean, he said it. I, I would I would think even with the previous incarnation of this Raptors team that at some point they would have won three yeah. consecutive games. Mm. But, it, yeah, it did feel like one, a low bar, and two, like kind of a lame thing for the coach to be paying for dinner. But here we are, perhaps on the verge. Now, we take a victory over the Kings in a game that they're going to be an underdog uh, in on Friday. Yep. But it could happen. Friday's tomorrow, by the way. 10.30 start again. I know, like, that's where they live, and they're allowed to play games at a, a fine local time. But come on, 9 o'clock, come on. Mm. Also... Darko has like a thing with dinners. I remember reading, I think it was Grange's profile of him or in the lead up to it. And there was this story about, I think it was like Sam Presti or whoever, some exec he had a history with. And he basically like took him out to dinner as a thank you for everything. And it was an immediate like sit down at the table and there's no prices on the menu. And you're going, oh no, what did I get myself into? So Darko has like a thing with dinners. They're, mm. they're like tentpole moments in his NBA career. I, I, I have a thing with dinner, dinner too. Like I eat it every day. Uh, <laughs> sometimes I call it supper. All right, so... Rap- yeah, uh, just to be clear, I never do. Yeah, I don't either. Okay. I just said it, though. You just said it. Okay. Uh, so Raptors so uh, unbeaten in 2024 and unbeaten with R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly. Mm. Who- flip, uh, flip those, please. Yeah, and there was a moment, actually, in my notes, I was getting ready for the take that R.J. Barrett was getting like, oh, who's putting this Emmanuel quickly way shoulder, head and shoulders above R.J. Barrett as far as impact that he's going to have on this team when he mm-hmm. starts the game, what, 0 of 3, 0 yep. of 4, um, and kind of forcing some shots and getting one blocked by the defense, uh, reigning defensive player of the year mm-hmm. in the first half, and then he you know, comes back in the second half. He ends up 5 of 8 from 3, 26 points in his 33 minutes uh, to go with 5 assists and is the difference makers. The Raptors kind of let it get it a little closer than it needed to be in the fourth quarter. That was a game they controlled start to finish. Like, this is a team that, what, like, went an entire month without winning a first quarter mm-hmm. in December? I mean, they were, they were up 20 points in this game against a Grizzlies team that, was much better with John Moran. I think they were five and two going into yesterday's game with John Moran. But yes, playing on the back end of back to backs, they controlled that game. They they have looked entirely different with the new players and the outgoing OG Ananobi. And maybe you can question the defense that they've put forth, but better job defensively uh, against the Grizzlies than they did against the the Cavaliers. But just like from an again, this is small sample. But the number one takeaway for me, like from a, a larger macro picture than the micro specifically, Emmanuel Quickly, R.J. Barrett, is they're, like, they're capable offensively. Like they get in spots where you're like, oh, they need a bucket. And you're like, oh, they might get one now. Mm-hmm. Where, as opposed to before the trade, you're like, oh, yeah, this is their patented five-minute stretch where they can't, they can't buy one. Like it, it is so night and day the difference watching this team now as opposed to a week ago. Yeah, and the offensive point you make is a good one, but I want to go back to the first thing you said there, and it's the way this team starts games. How many shows did we do where we we did a lot of Twilight or uh, uh, Deja Vu shows where it was the same conversation over and over again, but part of that was this team very leafsy, their inability to start on time. And the thing I'm wondering, I think it's more a roster construction issue, or I shouldn't say issue, but uh, reason that they're able to start on time now is that they just have a different, more versatile team where they're not as reliant on one or two guys to carry the bulk of the offense. I think that's more it. But how much of it do you think is the 
This team talked so much about vibes heading into the season, and that wasn't that wasn't the writers talking about it. That was the general manager of the team on this show to us saying that was a big reason why they were believers in that. I'm going to pose it to you. How much of the this team's ability to start on time and hang in games and have the pushback and the fight back is that the vibes are different, and not that OG or Precious or Malachi Flynn were some cancers in the room, far from it, but it's the thing we've talked about, that this weight hanging over the team if you knew a trade was coming possibly two or three and you finally saw it that everyone's just able to play a little more freely now like what do you if you're doing the kind of pie perception of that which is the bigger slice of it yeah no you can't deny that aspect of no it because there's a clear i don't know if effort is like it's a bug like you can't say there's a different effort level here because they're, they're being paid millions of yes. dollars and you would hope that and i do by and large believe that the effort is consistent for the mm-hmm. most part but yeah something looks different that is unquantifiable with this team and maybe it's just you know a shake up maybe it's just a, a different sense of uh belief with this raptors team the other thing is i was going to mention when you talk about vibes and this is part of it the chemistry component with the two players that you brought in who are you know, various levels of expectation and 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 stardom, right? We were talking about R.J. Barrett, who's a, a former third overall selection, and then when the Knicks fell to third in that draft lottery, it was yeah, it was a, a bummer they didn't get Zion and Jaw, but they did look at Barrett as a potential you know focal point, and that's what he's been throughout the entirety of his entire. Even go back to Duke in that tournament oh game God, where yeah. he he was taking the final shots, not Zion. It yeah. was R.J. Barrett. Well, and hey, like I, I know it's a thousand years ago, but it's like he had massive moments for this country. It's like we don't yep. care about the World Juniors of basketball, but he led Canada to a gold there. But like. neither guy has forced it, and they're entering an ecosystem where there's a couple of guys. Well, one having great seasons in Scotty Barnes, who continues to have a great season, and another guy in Pascal Siakam, who I want to talk a little more in depth mm-hmm. about, and what I think about. The, the next month or so of, of his Raptors play. But those guys are in the midst of these great seasons. These are established pecking order, like top of the pecking order offensive food chain dudes. And everybody's like, there's been no issue with anybody looking around and saying like, who's got to get the shot now? Like which possess- it's my turn. Now I got to get mine up forcing something it doesn't look like anybody's forcing it like it all looks very organic right now yeah that is the thing i may be the most curious to see how it plays out because scotty barnes has been to a certain extent given the car keys here but you know he's also had like a it's it's not like the full car keys he's got his g1 like pascal siakam has been sitting in the passenger seat right there alongside with but him but he can recognize when like pascal's going off he can and that that is the thing i'm most interested to see play out it's not kind of lost on me that C Yakum gets in the foul trouble and you know I don't want to overstate the point he still played 30 minutes last night it's not like he was a non-factor in that game but I do wonder if you're Masai if you're Bobby watching that what does it look like on a night where Pascal is a little bit less of a factor and can you use that as a as a blueprint or or you know a, a look ahead to what this team could be with or without him I think that that is the thing that I'm most curious about getting ironed out is eventually a pecking order of sorts will establish itself as these guys play more and more games together. And that is the part of things where I think it's really interesting to see how the personalities on this team evolve. And more importantly, I think that's the aspect of coaching that I'm most curious about coach Darko's ability here because the X's and O's, you know, ability to run a rotation, the, the vibes, we know all that stuff is at least cromulent, if not better than that. 
But this is the question for being a head coach in any sport at this level. But the NBA might be this sport more than any other is managing the personalities, managing the expectations. And to your point, I think that because of the spot, all these guys are in their, in their careers, they can iron it out among themselves. But that part is the thing I'm kind of most curious about in terms of a challenge for Darko with all this. I know, speaking of challenges, like I understand like financially, luxury caps, uh, cap-wise, it's a challenge to envision re-signing Pascal Siakam to the number that he is going to deserve, especially after the season. And then with Scotty Barnes' uh, extension eligible for 25% of the cap at the conclusion of this season mm-hmm. and Emmanuel quickly is a restricted free agent and R.J. Barrett getting all the money that yep. he's so deserved for a team that even, like, the most optimistic of us isn't going to say that, well, this is a championship contender, but, like, could it be a top-four seed in the Eastern Conference? Like, I, I don't discount the possibility. I, man, I do wish that we had a longer runway for this, but this, it should be long enough, right, to yep. get a month. And and I know you can look at it two ways, the the run of games that they've got and, and the number of games on the road that they've got, but... More specifically, the opponents upcoming, even beyond the six-game road trip, the return home against the Celtics, and they got the heat as well. This is, like, right into the fire. And I, I guess if, if you want to poke holes in, in whatever their results are, especially if they're negative, you can say, well, there's not enough time for these guys to acclimate and they don't have enough practice. Okay, well, this if you want to keep this group together, if you really want to give this team with Pascal Siakam a run, you have to win a mm-hmm. lot of these games. Again, I'm sorry that there's tough opposition and there's a bunch of games on the road. I'm really interested to see from a wins and loss perspective headed towards the trade deadline what they can do with Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes playing as well as they have this season because uh, it's amazing how one trade can can flip the script and, yep. and change my thinking on the subject matter because who didn't, the way things were playing oh, out God. with OG and Pascal both on this team and the specter of both guys being traded, who didn't think, oh, well, both guys will be gone. Like it's a, like a total, not like a total clearing of the decks here, but this is Scotty Barnes' team. And then, you know, hopefully you get an, enough pieces around him that it's a good young up and coming team, but not a team that's in the mold of winning right now. One trade, and I've, I've totally changed my thinking on the subject. I want to see what they look like with Pascal Siakam. Yeah, I'm I'm curious. You mentioned the idea of can this team be top four in the East? They're not going to be top three. Like, they're not going to be better than the Celtics, Bucks, or the 76ers. But, and I, I want to be clear, I'm not putting them there yet. You can talk me into the Raptors, this version of them, being able to push a lot of the other teams in the kind of middle to upper middle of the Eastern Conference. Like, Raps Heat. I don't know. Like, yeah, Jimmy Buckets is is scary. Like him, him just having the ability to turn it on, heat culture, championship, all that. I'm not saying I'd take the Raptors in a series, but I think it's a series. The Pacers, you know, they're a little different. They're kind of more tested now, but they also had the swoon coming out of the, the tournament. That's a young team. Could this version of the Raptors be there with the Pacers? Probably a step below them, but they can kind of hang in that neighborhood. Magic, young team building, Cavs. We just saw what this looked like. Knicks, they just made their trade. When you start looking at those teams, why can't the Raptors live in that neighborhood of the Eastern Conference? No one's putting them in the in the top tier with Celtics, Bucks, Sixers. But other, but that that kind of middle class of the Eastern Conference, why can't they live there? I'm not saying they're the best of those teams. I'm not saying they're the fourth best team. Far from it, quite honestly. But they are absolutely in that neighborhood of, uh, or in that group of teams, in my opinion. All right, before the OG trade, I would have said, like, I know 
you, you shouldn't just like acquiesce. You shouldn't just make a trade to make a trade if you're Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster. But like, my God, you at some point you do have to, you have to take a swing here. And you you have to trade somebody, and it's probably, like I said, I, I felt like it was probably both guys. You got such a return on the one that, yeah, I am of the belief, like, if, if nobody's watching Pascal Siakam this season, and especially recently where, like, now the three is falling, but, like, what he's capable of doing and not the number one option on a good team, but, like, the type of team that would go after him in trade understands that he's... Gonna, he's not going to be the the number one option for you. He's going to be part of uh, the ecosystem for a team that's obviously in the playoffs and hoping to win a championship. If you don't get the return in offer for him in trade, you hold your ground, man. Like, I, it, I have no issue. As long as the Raptors are pre- fully prepared to do whatever it takes to re-sign Pascal Siakam and then you revisit the conversation next season at the trade deadline maybe, but... In no way am I going to be disappointed if the Raptors don't do something with Pascal Siakam at the trade deadline. I, I guess, like, barring something unforeseen as far as wins and losses are concerned headed towards February. But, no, I've seen what Pascal Siakam has done this season. I know what he's capable. I know what he could bring to a team that, that would be looking to acquire him. And if they don't give up the requisite assets to acquire him, I have no problem with Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster just keeping their powder dry with him. Yeah, I'm I'm so conflicted on it because that does seem like the smart, pragmatic thing to do. But in order to do that, you have to believe that that's a team willing to pay into the luxury tax for a group that we like. But but do we love? I, do we sit I, here I think and look at them as season, future champions? Like again, this is where we need Blake Murphy to tell yes. us. But I think for next season, you're not paying into okay. the luxury tax because. Scotty Barnes is under contract right, for right. next but season. W- the, 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 the extension wouldn't kick in, yeah, yeah, in yeah. until beyond right. next season. I guess this is all depending on what you're paying Emmanuel quickly. It also depends on what you're paying Pascal Siakam because totally. the reason he hasn't signed an extension is because Raptors don't want him at total max mm-hmm. dollars. So, and, and the way he's playing, it's kind of hard to deny him. So, I, all I'm saying is like, I I don't discount. I understand like age wise, like mm-hmm. timeline, yeah, yeah. it doesn't make a ton of sense, but. Gosh darn it. Like, you take the numbers out of it, wouldn't you want to see this thing play out a little bit longer? Yeah, you would. And the fact that there are guards involved now, that's the part of it, is just that there's just been so much front court play for that has dominated what the Raptors have done this season of Siakam and Barnes and even Ananobi. Like, he's not a guard far, far from it. I think that you want to see what it looks like. I, I don't know that I'm as far as you, though. I still think the best thing long-term for this team is to, I don't even want to say make a clean break, but they just cannot live in a world where they're extending Pascal and then they're talking about trades and this thing is hanging. Like the idea of the trade hanging over this team's head has clearly affected them so much early on this season. I I do believe that, especially what you've seen in the two games since we finally saw it. If there's a world where you're signing Pascal to potentially trade him when you have more time to do it. I just worry about the, what that does to the kind of organization and the stasis it puts itself in. We'll revisit yeah. this, but I'm like, if this is a top four team in the Eastern Conference, like if you... It, yeah, I'm just next, not there yet. That's the thing. If if they showed that, like yep. say they win sure. five of the six games on this California well, road totally trip. that's a different story. I mean, is it? It's and it's just a week and a half, and we've seen this team in more dire circumstances go out and do something similar against very good teams on 
in the Western Conference. If this team goes, if this team goes six and two on this roadie, and then they come home to Celtics Heat or whatever it is, or something along those lines, then I, that is kind of enough, honestly, uh, to go through that well, gauntlet road trip, all that. I think it's a bonus that they have these tough teams because, yeah, we get to to, to really get them tested right out of the shoot. I agree. I think it is a, I think it's a great thing for them that they've been tested in this way. I just don't know that I'm quite as bullish on it on it going quite as well as it's been the, lately. I don't know. I just think you're a little more bullish on it than me. Yeah. Shocker. I know. I'm a little negative about something. Yeah. And it's two wins against teams that are not world beaters in the Cavs and the Grizzlies, who obviously have, you know, not a great record, but much better with John Morant and playing on the back end of back-to-backs. But it's it's more like the process than even the result. Yep. Although, yeah, judging this thing will be more on the result. It'll be both, but it'll be more on the results. They actually have to win basketball games if you want to convince yourself that this is something worth pursuing beyond the deadline with Pascal Siakam. Anyways, uh, I want to get we'll, – we'll scratch the surface of this Blue Jays mm-hmm. conversation right now, um, but we'll get more in-depth. Um, Ross Atkins spoke yesterday for the first time this offseason, first time since the two-game playoff series loss in Minnesota where they scored one run, and – Let's let's play the first clip about you know his overall sense of what went wrong offensively for this team last year and and what the the process is and what the thinking is around revamping it for next season. Have uh, you know a team that performed relatively well last year with a disappointing ending uh, that has had good end season success for four years to now has been broadly together for four years now. Um, coming into another group, another team, another year where we feel be- better about the group because of their experience, their experiences, um, and the work that they put in. And it's really just putting, um, you know, our staff in a in a position to best support the players that are here to get us back to that run scoring that we had in 22 and 21 and 20. Um, feel like last year was just a blip in terms of run scoring. Okay, so this is a, a, that's all. Yeah, just th- a blip. You're um, if you're talking about selling hope and excitement for 2024, <laughs> it's about as as rough as it gets, right? Like we watched this team; they won 89 games, they made the playoffs, yeah. which is better than a bunch of teams. Five more than the Diamondbacks, buddy. Yep, and more than the Yankees, and the Yankees weren't in the playoffs. And oh, okay, mm-hmm. you you can you can more than the Mets, like the Yankees, Mets. Not in the playoffs. Yeah. Expected to be two teams competing for a World Series last year. So it's better than that. But boy, it was not a slog. It, <laughs> I mean, we watched the games. It, we w- did. It, it was not. It's not something that you looked at and you're like, oh, let's do that again. And they won't exactly because Matt Chapman's gone. But other than him, like you're bringing the band back together as far as Kevin Kiermaier. And I've been on record as being pro that move because mm-hmm. he was good last year. Can he replicate what he did offensively last year in one of his best offensive seasons? And we know the defense plays and I, I don't expect that to regress. I don't know. It's another question. Um, and can Alejandro Kirk be better offensively? Can Danny Jansen stay more healthy? I don't know. Probably not. But uh, what is he? And like, can Vlad hit more than like the 26 home runs he hit last year? Oh, God, you would hope so. Can and, he not get picked off at second base? And is George Springer not like calcifying before our eyes? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Jury's out mm-hmm. on that. Um, and also, is the the free agent landscape not the best? Like, yeah, I can. T- <laughs> I I I get it, and like, I can make a logical argument for not blowing your brains out for Cody Bellinger 
because of a myriad of reasons, not the yep. least of which is like yeah, he had not be good. one good yeah. year out of the last three, and the two that were not very good were like abysmal to the degree that the team that spends the most money in baseball was like, we're not even going to no, give you good. a one-year qualifying. Like, we're non-tendering you goodbye. So I get all that. But when you do this, and again, I understand it. When you do this, and it goes the way so many people expect it to next season, one, you put yourself in the crosshairs, and two, everybody gets to say, I told you so. Mm-hmm. I understand it. I understand. There's no, unless you think Cody Bellinger's the answer, there is no answer out there. And like Juan Soto might have been it. And who knows if the Otani stuff messed with that. Like maybe Otani was the thing that screwed this whole offseason up. That they did. That they were so single minded in their pursuit of Shohei Otani that they missed so many opportunities. And maybe that's it. But after all those opportunities pass you by, I understand this thinking, but it it absolutely <laughs> makes you a target going into next season. It does. How can you look at it any other way? And, you know, I understand what Atkins is saying to a certain extent there. I mean, we all thought Vladimir Guerrero, we didn't think it. We saw it with our eyes, right? The MVP season or the the one that we all give him credit for, uh, but Otani exists. Couple of years ago, we've we've seen that we've seen Bichette the floor he's capable of, and that's a floor now. Like for over the over 162, and you know he's not going to play 162. Nobody does, but we know what the floor looks like for Bo. But to your point, okay, George Springer, like maybe that was a bad offensive year. Why is it going to get better? Uh, he's only getting older. Again, I, I me and George Springer same age, and guess what? Uh, he's in better shape than me, but I don't feel great. I feel a little bit worse every single day I wake up the the next morning. Kirk, okay. Like, I know you were a big, big, big booster of Kirk early on. I've always been someone who kind of thought that this was going to regress a little bit. That's what you saw last year. Jansen, okay, you're going to tell me he's going to stay healthy? Uh, Not holding my breath on that one. This is a pragmatic way to go about it, given the swings and misses you took. I do wonder if there is a... I don't think it's likely, but another shoe to drop in the idea of a, you know, the Padres looking offload money. This is all stuff we've talked about. That didn't sound like a guy who is kicking tires on on those oh kind my, of things. No, he was asked a question. We'll get more into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Because we're running out of time here. But no, he's asked like, oh, okay, so like three more moves. He's like, no, nah, it's like probably like one. Closer to one. Yeah. So that sounds like. <laughs> could, be, and, could be two. And though. we'll talk to Ben Nicholson-Smith after 830 today, but. He was on their pursuit of Jock Peterson. Feels like it's like Jock Peterson to 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 play DH against right-handed pitchers and maybe some left field. That's your baseball team. And it's Isaiah Kiner Falefa and the, you know the crew at third base and second base yeah. and, and everybody else running it back and hoping that you get the same pitching performances in 24 that you got in 23. Anyways, it's not great I- plan. It's it's not ideal. And yeah, I, I I'm not gonna say it's not gonna work. Because that could also blow up in my face. I and I, I, I understand the logic behind it, but it definitely puts a target on uh, this Blue Jays front office. All right, when we come back, Toronto Maple Leafs have regular season magic, and uh, they showed it again yesterday. Uh, we'll talk uh, more about that victory in Anaheim in overtime against the Ducks yesterday. Uh, as the Fan Morning Show continues, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.